Judge Shaw, Injury Law, 732-888-8888. Matt Judd. T-Man Justice. T-Man Judd. The Injury Accident Professionals. First class service. Judd gets it done. Maximum compensation's our goal. See JudgeShawInjuryLaw.com. T-Man Judge Shaw, Injury Law, 732-888-8888. Matt Judd. Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. And now, here's your host, Greg Giambarisi. Welcome back, everybody. Hook, Line, and Splitter, episode 63, presented by Judge Shaw Injury Law. I'm Greg Giambarisi. Thanks so much for joining us. Our guest today will be Blue Claws right-handed pitcher Chase Annell, who really an amazing story. Uh, missed the last three years with injury and, and COVID, signed in 2020, two surgeries. He's back with the Blue Claws, made his pro debut in the second game of the season. We'll get to him in just a moment. Hook, line, and splitter presented by Judge Shaw Injury Law. We understand the toll that injuries take on families, and we're here to help. For a free consultation, call 1-866-909-6894. That's 1-866-909-6894. Or visit JudgeShawInjuryLaw.com. That's Judd with two Ds, Shaw Injury Law. Dot com. Blue Claws playing very well. They won four out of six in Hickory after taking two out of three from Brooklyn and before that taking four out of five from Aberdeen. So Jersey Shore back over 500, and they will be in Greensboro this week for a six-game series with the Grasshoppers. Remember, Greensboro took five out of six. The Blue Claws, the first home series of the season, April 11th through 16 in Shorttown. So hopefully Jersey Shore can continue uh, to play well and, and bounce back. Only four games out behind first place Hudson Valley in the SAL North. More on that series in Hickory, which featured a lot of home runs and some really good hitting coming up on the flip side. But we don't want to wait too long to get to Chase Andel, who, uh, as we said, has really done a, an, it's an amazing story. When he put, uh, when they got here uh, in early April, all the players fill out a little questionnaire. And his, his proudest baseball accomplishment uh, that he put down was making his way to the Blue Claws to open up the season. And, and why not? Um, Signed with the Phillies in 2020. That was the COVID year. He had surgery to miss 2021. They had to redo a surgery, a slightly different procedure that we'll talk about with him in a little bit uh, that happened in 2022. So that knocked out that season. And he tells some great stories about that. Uh, but now finally back on the mound, trying to find uh, the form, and the, the arm strength, and the velo um, that saw him an attractive prospect coming out of Coastal Carolina in 2000. And 20. So let's get to Blue Claw's right-handed pitcher, Chase Handel, on this episode of Hook, Line, and Splitter, presented by Judge Shaw Injury Law, Jersey Shore, Blue Claw's podcast. Our guest is Blue Claw's right-handed pitcher, Chase Andel, who made his professional debut earlier uh, in April. Chase is in Hickory. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, Thanks for joining us. So uh, we'll we'll kind of get to the story. It's been a, a long road for you uh, to finally get on on the mound. You did on April eighth uh, for the first time in the you know in the in the Philly system in a regular season game. How did it finally feel to make that professional debut? Yeah, no, uh, it, it's definitely been a long road. Um, there's no there's no doubt in that. Uh, it, it was very bittersweet. There were a lot of times, honestly, that uh, I, I didn't necessarily know if that day was going to come. So uh, to get on the mound, get get to Jersey finally after uh, three years of being rostered there, and finally get to be able to play with uh, with my teammates and 
the coaching staff and and to see it all kind of come together was was pretty cool. So you signed in 2020, and then you had that was the COVID year. So no professional games that year. You'd played a couple of games at, at Coastal Carolina before that season was shut down. So then 2021 and 2022, you have the the two different surgeries. Kind of walk us through those years. Yeah. So uh, I signed in 2020 um, with the Phillies uh, right out of Coastal, as you'd mentioned, and. Um, really during my time at Coastal, I was developing some sort of elbow issues. And at, at the time, I really didn't know what was going on. Uh, I went to a couple of doctors uh, when I was there. And um, even through like the process through the draft, uh, we'd, we really weren't sure what exactly it was. But um, I signed with the Phillies. Uh, they, they ended up thinking that it was a, a stress reaction causing my issues um, at the attachment side of my UCL. Um, and so we ended up going uh, and pursuing uh, rehab to start. Uh, we thought we would be able to rehab it. Um, so that took us through the fall of 2020. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't able to to, to work. Uh, so then when we got to spring training of 2021, uh, we kind of had a pretty good idea that I was just going to have to have some sort of surgery. Um, and then that ended up leading to me having the uh, UCL repair with the internal brace uh, in February of 21. Um, so the remainder of that year, I'd spent rehabbing that injury um, and that surgery. Um, just, uh, at the end of the year, um, and going into the 2022 season, uh, still have the same issues that I was having before that surgery. So, um, that was pretty, pretty much, uh, exactly how that happened. And, and that was definitely not something I wanted. Um, that was definitely a tough time for me, um, being in Clearwater for all that time and, and having a surgery that, you know, at the time I, I didn't really see any results from was, was definitely pretty frustrating. Um, but thankfully, we we had a, a new PT staff come to Clearwater, um, and th- those people are unbelievable. Our rehab staff in, in Clearwater, I can't say enough great things about them and um, about really the Phillies in general because uh, they they took a lot of time and, and a lot of people put a lot, a lot of uh, hours together to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and that led to uh, last year, uh, finally getting the, the diagnosis of thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, me and our PT, uh, we, we went to Dallas and uh, got surgery with um, one of the top vascular doctors in the world. Um, and ever since then, it's been, uh, it's been pretty, it's been a tough road, no doubt, but it's been uh, very, very um, enjoyable to kind of see results start to happen and, and my health start to get a lot better. Um, that's kind of where we lead now. Um, I'm still coming back. Um, not exactly where I was, uh, when I signed, but, uh, I definitely think I'm trending in the right direction and overall, I'm just happy to be back out there and playing and not in a, a training room all day. Yeah. So when you went to Dallas, was that what spring training ish last year before spring training last year? Yeah. So we actually went, uh, two different times. Um, we went one time for my, my imaging, uh, I think I did every test under the sun to try and figure out what was going on with me, um, whether it was a blood test, whether it was MRI, whether it was a nerve study. I think I did them all. Um, and uh, we finally went to we went to Dallas and it, it was pretty cool because, well, cool is not, I guess, the right word. But for me, it was kind of cool. But um, we got there and probably within 10 minutes of being in the office, um, I was with our with our PT, uh, Justin. And then Dr. Pearl walks in and he goes, you know, I've got a pretty good idea. This is what it is. And uh, he goes, I'm going to give you a shot uh, in your neck. 
And if it's what I think it is, uh, you're going to be pretty symptom free for the next couple hours. And we're going to want you to go um, to Dr. Meister, who's another notable surgeon um, down in Texas. Uh, we're going to, I want you to go to his place. And I want you to throw baseballs as hard as you can. Um, and let me know if you have any symptoms. So we get in the car, we drive an hour and, uh, I do just that. I go and I think I'm just right out of the car and in, in bands and in, in sweatpants. I'm, I'm going up to this place and I'm throwing base, baseballs like 93 miles an hour, just without even warming up and, um, pain free. And, and it was like, holy, like, I can't even believe my arm feels like this. And, uh, so that kind of gave us the green light to, to kind of have a good idea that that was it. Um, and then had the surgery and, uh, my fiance took great care of me for about the next two weeks. And then I went back down to Florida and started my rehab. So it's, that was what time of the year? Uh, June is I finally June, okay. got, surgery. got it. Got it. Yeah. So, and then the, the other one, the first surgery, that's not, it wasn't Tommy John, but it's the same ligament. You yeah. showed me right. The elbow. So what was like the UCL repair that you had the first time? Yeah, so I had a UCL repair with internal brace. So pretty much what they did was um, at the attachment side of my UCL uh, in the bone, I had a, what was called a stress reaction, which is pretty much what happens to the bone before a stress fracture happens um, to release the inflammation out of the bone. Um, and at the time, they figured if we dr drilled into the bone, we could release that inflammation. Um, so that when they did that, they wrapped my UCL um, with a collagen-based Kevlar um, and kind of anchored it in those spots uh, to be able to release that inflammation and then strengthen my UCL additionally on top of that. What was your reaction when the doctor in Texas, Dr. Pearl, told you that he kind of had a pretty good idea of what is it more? Is it excitement? Is it relief? Both? Yeah. I mean, at that period of time, uh, I was definitely in a, a tough place uh, just because I put so much time in, uh, put so much work in, sacrificed so much and not being able to play and and really not having any answers that I had a, a two years before that was it was pretty frustrating. So um, it was really just being thankful, I think, like um, thankful for, for Justin, our PT, to, to taking the time to figure out what it was was wrong with me. Um, our big league staff was working with me quite a bit, uh, all of our athletic trainers, it just kind of all came full circle because we finally had, we had direction and, uh, I knew that this was, this was probably going to be it for me. Um, I told my, I told my family and told myself and, and my fiance and all of those people, I was like, guys, I can't do this forever. Um, and I, to go there and get that clarity of an answer, um, kind of kept me pushing and, and kept me, uh focused on the end goal of getting back on the field so when were you able to get back on a mound um i would say i started bullpen progressions at the end of last year so um around instructs time um which is for people that don't know probably around october mm -hmm. um and then we started really ramping up this off season um back home in columbus i uh, had a great great people around me there um Great setup, great uh, facility uh, with the Bow Dome in Columbus, and a lot of guys that really just kind of helped me get back to where I needed to get to before spring training, and that's when I really ramped it up from there. So that, then you got to come out and make a team. And that's right. So what's your mindset going into spring training because you haven't faced hitters in a competitive situation apart from maybe a 
I don't even know if you faced any instructs, but you know, in, in years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a learning process that I'm even still going through currently. Um, it's kind of, uh, just kind of learning each time I go out there, you know, it's, I got down there in the beginning of January this year and, and started facing hitters around, uh, mid January. Um, and each time it was just like kind of getting back to where I want to be. Um, and what I remember being on the mound and, and the pitcher I remember being, uh, so that I can help our team win. Um, that's kind of the standard I hold myself to. Um, I, I really, really push every day to try and be the best person I can for the team. And, and also, uh, for myself, because I think I've put a lot of time in and, and I want to see it kind of pay off and be the person that I want to be and eventually make it to the big leagues. Um, but at the time and, and going through those at-bats, it was really just learning process because I, I'm, I'm still not pitching with the stuff that I used to have. Um, and, and I'm not the pitcher that I was then. And, 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 you know, in some cases, I'm definitely better for it now. Um, and I'm in a better situation than I was then. But um, part of me still wants to get back to, to throwing the baseball like I used to. Uh, and I think that's definitely possible. Yeah, you were, you know, you were an upper 90s guy just doing some research, um, you know, when you were in college there. So how, how do you feel now physically? And, you know, are you starting to see – what do you look for when you go start to start or bullpen to bullpen, uh, you know, those little improvements each time, you know, each each outing a little bit better than the the, the previous one from a stuff standpoint, putting results aside? Yeah, yeah. Um, so stuff aspect, I think it's just getting back out there. Um, like getting my body moving like that, because like we've talked about, it's been three years since I've moved my body that quick. Um, mm -hmm. And even, even as quick as I am now. And, and I'm very happy with where I'm at. Um, obviously as a baseball player and a pitcher, I, I want to get back to where I was and be better than what I was. But um, the reality is, is that each time I go out there and, and uh, each time I work with our pitching coaches, Brady and, and Phil, um, we, we make steps in the right direction. We have conversations to kind of get me back and get me thinking to where I need to be um, to be a successful pitcher and, and have the results that we want to have um, and the stuff that I want to have because I, I want to be back in the upper 90s like we talked about. And, and I think that's just sticking to the process, sticking to the understanding where I'm at right now and understanding what I've been through to get to where I'm at um, is a big part of it, I think. And not the part that I'm always great at, to be honest with you. How how have Phil and, and Brady kind of, and not just them, you know, other the you know the coordinators Travis Herger, how have they kind of helped you through each step um, along the way over you know since January? Yeah, it's a lot of it's honestly just uh, reassuring me that that I got I got really good stuff. Um, I think a lot of times I kind of lose focus of that because it's not what I what I want. Um, and where I remember being, but I got really good stuff. Um, I, I work really hard and that's what they continue to remind me about. Um, and they understand if, as long as you do those things, typically the game takes care of you. Um, and, and, um, being able to work with them and, and just have a different, different aspect of everything and have them put things into perspective because, uh, as individuals, we don't always see kind of the bigger picture and see everything that we have going on and, and all the good stuff that uh, happens day in and day out. Uh, I'm a guy that likes to to be hold myself to a high standard, like I talked about, and um, I want I want to have the best results that I can have, and I want to do those consistently. And instead of taking a win each time, um, that they like to they like to um, remind us of that every day and every opportunity, there's good to come out of it. 
um, and things to learn from. And I think that's something that uh, has helped me a lot. I thought it was cool that in your first game, you got the win. Would you know, yeah. your first game back, you, you got the win. I know that the Parada got you there for a, for a homer, the second batter that you faced, but you struck out the first batter that you faced as a pro three years late. Um, you get the win. The team gets the win, obviously. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool for you. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was awesome. That was one of my favorite memories, I think, uh, in baseball for sure. <clears throat> just going back in the clubhouse and the guys and, and and the coaching staff and man, everybody was just excited and it was it was a really cool moment and a really cool uh, opportunity for the team to kind of uh, have some fun and and um, for me to reflect a little bit on the last couple of years. What were you thinking when you took the mound? Um, at, at the time, I I remember thinking that I'm gonna I'm gonna establish my fastball, thinking that I still had you know 98, 99 mile an hour heater, but um, that was my thought. Uh, I went out there and did that for the first batter, and then uh, for some reason decided to get a little cute and uh, throw an off speed pitch to Parada that he put on the roller coaster. <laughs> Look, so once, a lot of guys say once I got the that, it happens. Yeah, once I once I got that uh once I got that strikeout, I was like, man, I've never left. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, uh I got humbled back to reality pretty quick. It happens. It happens. So let's go back a, a couple years. Um that's the COVID year, the the 2020 when you come out of coastal. So it's a mm-hmm. five round draft, which changes the dynamic of uh of a lot of things in the first place so after the draft um instead of or going into the draft you know everybody's hoping that they get picked comes out of the draft now and because there, there's so many high level players that didn't get picked because it was only a five-round draft you know you got you guys are essentially being recruited and yeah. you end up signing with with the Phillies. so i know you had a lot of different options how did you end up with philadelphia yeah you know, at the time, it was uh, like conversations and, and uh, understanding kind of where I what I wanted when I got to Coastal. Um, I wanted a pretty similar uh, setup. I wanted um, the pitching beliefs and the pitching uh, philosophies to be pretty similar. I wanted um, a group that really worked together, um, like from the different departments. Um, and I thought Philadelphia, uh, the Phillies, like they kind of check, checked all those boxes. Um, you know, since then, we've kind of... Uh, had a bunch of different people come into roles. Um, and I think those are all been for the better. I think this organization is trending in, in a great direction and it's in a much, much better place than uh, even when I first walked into it. So I'm, I'm definitely very happy with my decision. Um, and it was just the people, I think, understanding the people that I was talking to and uh, the people I was going to go to fight with every day. Um, those are the people I wanted to have on my back. So how did it work? Did, did you sit down for like Zoom sessions with Philly staff I know a couple of people called you yeah yeah no um so the way it worked is uh, we pretty much were getting phone calls every uh three or four minutes uh on the day of that um that process uh, so it was a pretty hectic day and then um pretty much you'd start with a phone call and then that phone call would lead to a zoom um with a couple people and then next thing you know the zoom that Zoom would lead to then uh, a bigger Zoom when you had, you know, the couple assistant GMs, you had our, our farm director, you had really big, big people in the organization. And, uh, you know, those were those were all great people to talk to. Um, and then after all of those things were said and done, I kind of still was was 
feeling teams out and talking with teams. And then um, at the time, <clears throat> uh, the manager, Joe Girardi, he gave me a call. And um, that was somebody I looked up to and, and definitely uh, was aware of because I grew up a Yankees fan. So that was uh, that was pretty cool having that, having that phone call and having that conversation um, and really just understanding uh, their, their thoughts for me and their plans and um, seeing where they fit, where they see me fit in the organization, uh, at least at the time. That was pretty cool. Did they tell you he was calling you or you just answered the phone from a 215 number? Yeah, no, I just answered the phone and uh, he said, hey, Chase, this is Joe Girardi. And I, I thought for a second somebody was messing with me, but uh, that ended up not being the case. And we had uh, probably about a 10, 15 minute conversation and it was great. It was really cool. Back to the podcast in a second. Since 1986, Rich Green Lawns has been the leading lawn fertilization company of the Jersey Shore, providing lawn fertilization, bed weed control, take a mosquito control, as well as tree and shrub programs. Mention this ad and save 50% off your first lawn application. Call or text us today at 732-370-5963, 732-370-5963, or richgreenlawns.com. And when shopping for appliances, electronics, and mattresses, you want a local hometown team that you can trust. That's PC Richard & Son. PC Richard & Son is a friendly and knowledgeable sales team, installations and repair service you can trust, and the guaranteed lowest prices. So get to PC Richard & Son today. Shop smart, shop local, shop PC Richard & Son. So that was Josh Bonfay. He was at the he was the farm director at the time, and now yep. it's Preston Mattingly. You said they made some some changes. What kinds of things from a player standpoint have you seen that um, you know where you think the the Phillies have gotten better? you know, to help you guys develop? Yeah, I know. I think it's uh, really just surrounding us with the, with the right type of people. I think um, it's very collaborative effort with the Phillies. I think that um, whether it's nutrition staff, whether it's strength training, whether it's uh, on the pitching side of things, like everybody works together. And I think um, there's a lot of different, a lot of great people in our organization. And there wasn't even then too. Um, but I just think that the, the whole, the whole organization is just so much smoother. I think it's a lot more, um, like open-minded, I think that there's a lot of people that will will listen to what uh, us as players would like or or, or what we're thinking, um, and then the coaches really just put their effort and and put their time into making sure that we we do and and get what we need to do to be on the field every day and be the best version of ourselves and um, really just letting us be ourselves. I think has been been a big part of it. What's a um, what's a rehab day like? at the complex for you? Yeah, so I, I did endless of these. So I think yeah. I should probably be able to rattle them off pretty <laughs> well. Um, no, so it's uh, it'd be showing up. Uh, I always pretty much showed up about an hour before, um, got breakfast. Um, then we went into the then we went into the gym. Like this is uh, in the morning, early yeah, in the morning. morning. Yeah, typically in the morning, yeah. Um, there would have been like 7 a.m. reports sometimes, like during spring training. Those were the early, nice early mornings. Um, and then, yeah, so it'd be typically around then. Um, go, in the, go in the gym, roll out, do a tissue prep, uh, get ready for the day. Um, and then you would have a shoulder stretch typically. And then you would do go through your exercises because you would have exercises pre-throw and then you would have exercises post-throw. And then a, 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 more times than not, you had a lift as well. So, um you would go throw after the, the after the pre-exercises. Then you would obviously come back, do your exercises after you throw, 
then you would do whatever you had to do with the strength training staff, um, whether it be conditioning, um, lifting, um, anything like that. Um, and then you would just do your post throw, your post exercises, and then um, your recovery for the day. Because uh, obviously at that point, uh, you want to make sure you're recovering all the things that you did from, from that day and then be able to set it up for the next day and so you can come in and get your work in as well. So uh, typically I would say a normal day, um, if we got there at 7, we'd probably be getting out around one thirty or 2. Um, and then we would go back. Um, now we go back to the apartments, um, whereas before we were in the Holiday Inn or, or the La Quinta. Mm-hmm. I mean – I know it's the last place you want to be, but I guess there are worse places to have to do rehab than Clearwater. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think, uh, to be honest with you, um, uh, this wasn't something I touched on earlier, but it was really the guys that we had <clears throat> in, in rehab um, really my entire time. They've, they've all became uh, some of my best friends, and, and we all were a really tight group because at the time when we originally got down there, there, there were 40 of us in rehab, huh. um, which – you know, it was, it was pretty crazy at the time and very hectic. Um, but we, we, a couple of us even talked about like uh, Sam Jacobsack and Albertus Barber were two of those guys and that are currently on our team that were in that group then. Um, and it's, we, we, la- we laughed the other day and we're like, man, who thought we would have got here um, back from Clearwater from all the days that we had in the hotels and, and, and rehab and to see it finally come full circle is pretty cool. Yeah, no, fantastic, and it's great for all three of you guys. And <clears throat> Albertus has been here, and he was here first in 2019, and then mm-hmm. he probably would have been back in 2021. He had the surgery, gets back at the end of last year. So, um, I mean, he's had a long run, and, and you've had a long run too. So it's great to have everybody here and, and pitching well. And um, now you're going to get into kind of the, the the longer grind part of the – of the season, I guess, has the adrenaline kind of worn off yet or hey, we're not close yeah. to the, the dog days of summer, but they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, to be honest with you, no, I'm just thankful, um, every day to, to be able to play. And, and right now it's just still pretty, it's still a little new for me. Um, uh, I don't, I don't make that excuse and I won't use that as an excuse, but, um, I think just that, that much time off for me being able to get back on the field. It's something I, uh, I've been able to cherish each time I go out there. So I, I more look at it as a thankful opportunity than uh, something that's necessarily uh, dawning at this point. So you, said you have you were... to check back with me in a couple months, though. Yeah, we'll see if that's... No, no problem. <laughs> so I know you said you grew up kind of a, as a Yankee fan. Um, how did that come to be? Yeah, so I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Um, and at the time when I was growing up, the Columbus Clippers were the AAA team for the Yankees. That's true for many so years. A lot of the games, that, yeah, a lot of the games that I'd went to were Clippers games. So, um, kind of just like like us seeing uh, the Yankees prospects and the Yankees guys coming through, really led to me wanting to watch them, um, and at the big league level, and that was the team that I decided to follow. Um, and then, additionally, my brother and my dad are both Red Sox fans. So of course, I had to to mix it up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Yankees yeah. were there from yeah, 19 – I just looked it up – 1979 to 2006. So that's a, almost yep. a 30-year run. Who were some of the younger Yankees that you remembered? Oh, um, I do remember Derek Jeter coming 
to town um, for uh, like rehab assignments or, or things like that. Same thing with A-Rod. Um, a couple pictures that came through. I can't even remember at the time, but um, it's been it's been a long time ago. But at, at the time, that those were the guys that that was uh, I was going to see whenever they were in town. When you uh, when you got here, you filled out the the little questionnaire that we had for you, and you you put Mariano Rivera as your as your favorite player. What did you like watching about him? And do you have his cutter yet? Yeah, you know, I'm actually. Uh, it's funny you say that. I'm working on a cutter right now that I think will be a really good pitch for me uh, down the stretch. But uh, no, yeah, Mariano. When when I was growing up, that man, it, the game was over when uh, the eighth inning was finished. Yeah, I think that's just what you knew. And um, at at Coastal, uh, I kind of modeled myself of thinking that exact same way. Is when when the ball was handed to me in the ninth, this game was over. Um, and I just think uh, watching somebody that everybody knew what pitch was coming with Mariano and they still didn't hit it and still, he still dominated. That was just the way it was. It was, it was, uh, here's my best stuff. And, and this is what you're going to get. Let's see what you do for it and uh, or see what you do with it. And that's kind of, uh, I think what I like to think as well when I'm going on the mound that, um, <clears throat> regardless of the outcome, I think going into it, this game is, is either going to stay here or this game is over when I'm coming in and that's, that's kind of modeled after him as well. I know the, the Phillies have are trying to add cutters. It seems like to a lot of, especially the right-handers. Um, what kind of benefit has that had for you? Have you thrown it in games yet? Tell us about that pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's actually a pitch I'm, I'm still working on uh, developing a, a little bit more, but uh, it is something I'm actively throwing in games. Um, I think the other night I threw eight of them um, here in Hickory. So I'm, I'm definitely mixing it in a little bit more, and it's it's a really good pitch for me because uh, my pitching profiles, at least, uh, my fastball plays really well up in the top of the zone. That um, has a lot of, uh, I think, hold on, it has a lot of uh, vertical break, so a vertical on my heater. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably in the 18 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my curveball has a lot of uh, vertical depth as well. And it's probably in the 17, minus 17, minus 18 range. So this just there, it's a pretty big gap between my two pitches. Um, and the thought is with the cutter that we want something to move inside between, in, in between the two. Um, and I think that's became a, a pretty a pretty accurate representation of what it's done and, and how it's helped my arsenal. How, just in hearing you, you talk right there, how involved do you get with the analytical stuff? And how involved do the Phillies want you to be with it? Yeah, you know, me as a for me personally, I don't dive into that at all. Um, I've kind of always read the approach that I I, I want to understand what it means. Um, and if you think that something is beneficial that you see, like from our pitching coach's standpoint, like Brady and Phil, mm-hmm. if they understand something and they see something, they'll translate it to me in a sense of like, hey, this is what this means. Like for example, um, the higher vertical you have on your fastball, you probably like to play at the top of the zone. Um, because it it is going up, whereas the bat's coming down through the zone. Yeah, yeah, down. So you're kind of missing it. You're kind of going both different ways. Um, but I just think just understanding like what your stuff does, um, and, and understanding like where you're best, where where you uh, profile best in the zone, um, can go, can help you a lot, especially uh, putting hitters away. So. How did you end up at – sorry, bouncing around a little. How did you end up at Coastal from Bowling Green? 
Yeah, so um, during the time of Bowling Green, it really wasn't um, – we weren't very successful, and I thought that I, I definitely knew I wanted to play professional baseball. So at the time, um, I reached out to, to Chris Valentine is his name, and he's uh, uh, with Prep Baseball Report in the uh, northeast area. But he has a couple different states that he's in charge of. Um, and at the time, I was going to play in the Coastal Plains League um, – and I was actually going to play for the Ashboro Copperheads. Uh, that was the team I was headed to. And I talked to Chris. Um, and Chris was good friends with the pitching coach at the time, Drew Thomas, who's now the uh, pitching coach for the Carolina Mudcats with the Brewers organization. Um, and so he came to see me throw. And uh, I think they had me on a visit that next week. And I absolutely loved it. I think at the time um, I was balancing between a lot of very good schools um, probably if I had to say Michigan was probably one of the top, um, as well, but unfortunately at the time they were in Omaha. So, uh, when I visited coastal, uh, I knew immediately that that was the place I wanted to go. Um, just with the staff and, and the place and the, and the vision that they had for me as a pitcher to get me so, to my end goal of being a big leaguer. That was, uh, the place I wanted to be. That's summer of 19. Yeah. Summer yeah. of 2019. So then you get your season cut short, unfortunately, um, at Coastal. What, what were those two months like from, or three months from the draft and then signing after the, the shutdown? Yeah, that was a, <clears throat> that was a whole lot of unknown. Um, because we, like we said, we, when, when COVID happened and COVID hit, we actually landed in Louisiana um, to play Lafayette for a weekend series. And then all of a sudden we landed the plane in New Orleans and all of a sudden everything just shut down. And Noah Skiro signed in your class with the Phillies. And he told me that he was with Liberty. They were busing to, I think it was West Virginia. And they like bust eight hours or whatever it was, a few hours there. They called and said, we're shut down. They like waited for an hour and then like, all right, we're going home. Turned around and went right back. And then that was, yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. We uh, we played – this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but we played Wake Forest, I think it was a Wednesday night, at home, and it was a night game. And we left for the airport at 4 a.m. that next morning. So we played a night game against Wake Forest, left at 4 a.m. that next morning to go to then uh, the airport to fly to um, Louisiana. So we get there, um, then we go to the, the airport, and then we get to, we make it to New Orleans, and we're walking around, and we don't have a bus. So the bus mm-hmm. doesn't show up. Well, once the bus finally shows up, we start seeing all these different schools canceling games. And we're mm-hmm. like, oh, surely this is weird. We're not going like, to be a big deal. Well, we get three hours later, three hours down the road, and the next thing you know, everybody's canceling. So... Yeah, that was uh that that hit pretty quick, and and um, for me at the time, I, I loved coastal, and I I even still right now love coastal. Um, I'm very thankful for the time I had there, and honestly, wish I had four four years there. But um, it all came to an end very very quickly. So, um, to answer your question, eventually, um, when we got back to Myrtle Beach, and back back to Conway, I pretty much packed up my apartment and went back to Columbus. Um, and was working out in my high school coach's garage um, for the remainder of those couple months and, and just really figuring 
figuring it all out, figuring out where to go, where I'm able to to go inside, where I'm able to train and and do all of those things because the draft was right around the corner and I knew I had to be ready to play. Well, it's been uh, it's been quite the ride for you from that to the Phillies, couple surgeries, and it's great to see you on a mound wearing a Blue Claws uniform. Chase, thanks so much for a few minutes. Keep up the good work and best of luck and health this season. Yeah, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, it's been a blast, and I'm thankful every day to be able to be a Blue Claw. So we'll keep it rolling. Thanks to Chase Handel for joining us. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, he, he was fantastic and uh, a great story. Easy guy to root for, and uh, certainly we'll be rooting for him uh, as he continues his baseball journey here with the Blue Claws. Blue Claws playing well, as we said, took four out of six in Hickory. Saturday night was uh, quite the night. Blue Claws won 13-1. to They hit six home runs, which tied a franchise record for the most home runs hit in a game by the Blue Claws. They hit six home runs in a 2021 game at Winston-Salem, including two by Jalen Ortiz and two by DJ Stewart. That was during Ortiz's scalding hot month of July, where he hit eight or nine home runs, got promoted at the end of the month, right after the trade deadline uh, that year. He's in AAA Lehigh Valley right now. Uh, Saturday's home run fest included two home runs by Rickson Wingrove and two by Kendall Simmons. And then Simmons hit another home run in the win on Sunday, a 3-2 victory in the series finale to put the Blue Claws over 500 at 12 and 11. It's the first time the Blue Claws have been over 500 after 20 games since 2018. So that's uh, certainly good for, for everybody, for the fans as well. Uh, for the fans, of course, as uh, Jersey Shore back over 500. Only four games out. Uh, still have three doubleheaders to make up, but in a good position. They'll be in Greensboro, as we said this week. Rickson Wingrove has five home runs, including four of them in two games. Uh, April 19th at Aberdeen, he hit two, and then he hit two uh, on Saturday in Hickory. And then Kendall Simmons hit two on Saturday and one on Sunday. No Blue Claw, or excuse me, only one Blue Claw has ever hit three home runs in a game. Simmons actually homered in three straight at-bats, his last two at-bats in the seventh inning and the ninth inning on uh, Saturday, and then he homered in the second inning in his first at-bat on Sunday, and Blue Claws went on to win that game. Blue Claws' bullpen has been pitching extremely well. Uh, when they started their, their hot streak after losing the first game in Aberdeen on April 18th, since then... Uh, since April 19th, Blue Claws bullpen has a sub-3 ERA, and before that, their ERA was over 8. So that's been certainly a, a key factor in their success. Tristan Garnett got his first save of the year on Sunday. Cam Wynn got a save. Matt Russell pitched a, a really a stupendous job on Thursday. He was in a tie game in the bottom of the eighth inning. He pitched out of a bases-loaded, nobody-out jam in the eighth inning, and then... Keep keeping the score at 5-5, and the Blue Claws would go on to win it in 11. Russell pitched the 8th, 9th, and 10th and was the winning pitcher in that ball game. So Blue Claws in Greensboro this week. Hoppers are 16-11. and 11. They went 5-1 and one at Shorttown Ballpark in the first home series of the season. So that'll be a good week and a good uh, you know kind of testing ground to see where the Blue Claws stand heading into the middle part of May. So... 27 games into the season for most teams. Blue Claws have only played 23 because of some rainouts. They have three doubleheaders to make up. One will be made up in Aberdeen on May 24th, and then Jersey Shore will play two against Brooklyn on May 31st and June 3rd 
And then the third game against Brooklyn, that was rained out. Remember, we had that weekend washout uh, here in Lakewood last week. Uh, that game will not be made up the third one because two things. One, you can't play more than two double headers in a seven-day period. So that means you can only make up two in that one series when Brooklyn's here, and then the teams don't play again in the first half. So because there's only one more series between the two teams in the first half, that second, that third rainout will go away and is just a markdown. It's a canceled game. So um, most teams have played 27 games after this week. That'll be 33 for most teams, and that'll be the midpoint of the first half. Again, the Blue Claws will still have to play 36 more games after this series, after this Sunday, but still. So basically, you know, after this week, it'll be about halfway through, and it'll be a good, uh, a good test to see where the Blue Claws are after starting the season at 2-8. and eight. They are 8-3 and three in their last 11 games. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, back home on... Tuesday, and then it's a fun week. Next Wednesday is the 17th. That's a morning game, 11.05 for the Education Day. Thursday, the Philly Fanaticus here. That's May 18th. May 19th is the first Marvel Superhero Night of the Year. Black Panther will be here for a special guest appearance. Saturday, May 20th is uh, both Buster's Birthday and Touch'em Trucks presented by Judge Shaw Injury Law. So those will be fun. It's a 4.05 start. Those are always great. Uh, spend the morning with the family and then come out to the ball game uh, with the family, of course, for the, uh, the late afternoon start, 4.05 Saturday, May 20th, Buster's birthday and Touch Some Trucks Day. And then Sunday, Bark in the Park, Toyota World of Lakewood, 95.9 The Rad, 100.1 WJRZ for Bark in the Park. It's a 105 first pitch, 10 a.m. festival that will begin outside the stadium on the Great Lawn. As we said, Blue Claws and Greensboro, you can watch the games there this year on Bally Live, the only app where minor league baseball fans can score major rewards. Stream your favorite teams live. You'll score rewards. Chat with friends during a watch party. Score rewards and test your skills at trivia. Score rewards. Being a fan of the minor leagues has never been so rewarding, so what are you waiting for? Download Bally Live for free from the App Store or Google Play Store and start scoring rewards today. So, yeah, Bally Live, MILB TV, MLB TV as well to watch uh, these games. MLB TV, you can watch us mark the Phillies as your favorite team, and the games will, uh, will show up in there. That will do it for this episode of Hook, Line, and Splitter. We have a couple of more coming uh, in the next week or so, uh, so be on the lookout for that. Gunnar Mayer will be our guest, and then we have a special guest coming up after that. So uh, we're going to keep firing away. Thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate it very much. Give us a five-star review there in the Apple App Store, Podcast Store, and uh, Spotify as well. Hook, Line, and Splitter, presented by Judge Sean Jury Law, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. I'm Greg Jambarisi. See you next week in Short Town, and thanks to our guest, Chase. Have a great day, everybody.